Hello and welcome to the Culture Swally, a podcast dedicated to Scottish news and pop culture. My name is Nicky and I'm joined as always by the man who, if I want to know where he is, he's usually in the bog smoking two fags at once. It's Greg. How are you today, Greg? I'm doing all right. How are you? Yeah, I'm fine, thank you. I'm all fine. I know you don't smoke anymore, but it was, um, you know, I thought it was uh, an amusing kind of intro. I've, but, uh, I've not had a cigarette for quite a while. Um, I do go through periods, uh, usually when I'm Usually, when I've got well, always when I've got a drink, I will sometimes treat myself to a wee twenty deck. But um, because you can't only because you can't buy tens here. <laughs> um, I, I did try the vape uh, for a while. I think we've spoken about it before on the pod, but I mm. find the vape because of because it's sort it's a bit more socially acceptable. You tend to find that mm. you just. You're just sort of wheezing on it all the time, whereas a cigarette yeah. is a very definitive beginning and end. Um, so you, with a vape, you're essentially chain-smoking. And um, and it's know. it's very rare that you would have a cigarette and then spark up another one, because yeah. although you might feel like you want another one, after about two puffs, you're like, oh, fuck, I don't want this. Yeah, exactly. I always remember, it was on your stag do, actually, and it always pops into my mind. Not always, but it does occasionally pop into my mind. Um, we'd obviously, I think it was the second day, so we're all feeling a little bit worse for wear. Yeah. Um, the next Not day. for long. You especially. Oh, the, oh the, that, was, that was a third day, I think. Cause, uh, Maybe. Yeah, day. yeah. And I remember we were sitting, it, it was because it was directed towards you. You were feeling really rough. Mm. And one of the, the party, I could probably say his name, it was Malky. Yeah, yeah. Um, he had a cigarette and then he just went green. <laughs> Um, and and he turned to you and he went, "You should have a cigarette, Greg, because I'm feeling fucking great after that one." <laughs> yeah, he was um, he was actually the sort of main architect of uh, my malaise that day because we had done a fair bit of drinking on the journey there because we had got up early. I remember we met at the train station and got the train up to Presswick, so we're sort of drinking from as early as you can get a drink in Glasgow City Centre, pretty much. <laughs> Um, and then, of course, when we got to Barcelona, we just went to the hotel, quick shower and change, and then we had a night out. And then the next morning, I came down, and I, I wasn't, I wasn't like dying, but I felt like I'd put a shift in the day before, you know. Mm. And Malky was at the bar. Uh, no, no, I nobody was at the bar, so I ordered. I thought I need like a little kind of a bit of something sweet just to kind of give me a bit of a kick in the arse. So I had a, I ordered a can of coke, and, <laughs> and Malky appeared just at my back a minute or two later, and he said. Oh, vodkas and coke. That's a fucking great idea. <laughs> and this was at like, this was at midday. So I remember us having, spending like an hour, maybe two hours in the bar after people arrived. And a lot a lot of people were feeling a bit like they had put a shift in. And then we went for lunch and continued to drink. And then a couple of guys went back to the hotel after lunch and we didn't see them again the whole day. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? So yeah, it was uh, yeah. I, I mean, I sometimes I can sometimes feel that hangover. That's probably the worst hangover I've ever had, and I'm sure it's because we went to a gentleman's club <laughs> last <laughs> last thing, like the very very last place we visited, and there was not many people left. And the cover charge to get in included anything off like this shelf on the gantry, and there was like no bottles I recognised, like no labels, but. <laughs> So, I mean, fuck knows. It could have been absolutely anything. And then it turned out that we thought it was a strip club, which it was, but it was also a brothel, <laughs> which we didn't realise until 
I mean, it didn't make us like finish our drinks and leave immediately. Do you know what I mean? But uh, but yeah, it was. I'm sure I probably drank some fucking terps or god knows what <laughs> with a bit of lemonade in it or something. That's why I was so ruined the next day. <laughs> yeah, a massive ouzo hangover yeah, probably the next day. God, yeah. Fucking paint stripper. <laughs> um, I, w- I went through a bit of a rite of passage last Saturday with my, um, my own uh, progeny, my own daughter. I think I was telling you I had to go and collect her. She mm. went to a Halloween party in an indoor theme park uh, here last Saturday, and I had to go and collect her from the clinic because she was absolutely hammered after drinking vodka and slush puppy. Um, apparently there's some kids that go around and they are selling like, water bottles of vodka for like 20 dirhams to other kids um wow yeah so and she had to push her the the, the worst thing was like she was she was and there's there was a there was a few there was a few other contributory factors one she had just done this 20 kilometer hike but by her own admission she hadn't eaten much and then she's drinking like vodka with slushy so i think that made it even worse than it than it would have been anyway but when I went to get her, she's like nodding out and everything. So I've got to t- I've got to push her in a wheelchair to the car. So I thought that I would, they would let me sort of out the back and I could just push her around the car park to the car. But they made me push her through the fucking really, really busy <laughs> theme park. Oh, Jesus. But the thing is, she's like asleep. Do you, do you know what I mean? She's like <laughs> completely unconscious. And I'm fucking pushing her through in a wheelchair. Um <laughs> Suffice to say that the next day, while she was uh, she was full of apologies, she had absolutely no ill effects whatsoever because you don't. Oh, okay. well, you don't when you're 15, do you? You could fucking yeah, that's get true. yourself yeah. into some right states and come up smelling the roses the next day. So yeah, bit of a bit of a humbling experience going to pick my little baby daughter up, which is fucking absolutely off her nut. <laughs> So if she didn't have a massive hangover, she maybe hasn't learnt her lesson, has she? Or do you think she has? I think. Well, look, she's going to do something like that again. Of course she is. We never learned our lessons, did we? So why should no. she? <laughs> Um, That's very true, actually. But uh, I told I said I told her I said that you can you can have this one for free, but uh, next time there will be some sanctions. But because the thing is, like we do there, have a drink, but they can if there's people that like if if she's got her mates here mm. and the mates, mums and dads are okay with the kids having a drink, I'm thinking have a drink in the house. And same if she goes somewhere else, but I'm not too happy about her fucking like being a bit shady about it. But anyway, she, she knows she knows. That, you know. We've all done it, Greg. We've all done it. So exactly. it's um exactly. part of growing yeah. up. Yeah. So yeah. Oh, good stuff. Okay. Uh right. Shall we have a look at what's been happening in Scotland over the last couple of weeks? Here are the jingle. <laughs> This is the Outer Hebrides Broadcasting Corporation, and here is what's been going on in the news. Okay, Greg, so what have you got first this week to tell me and our lovely listeners that you've seen in Scotland? Well, this isn't something that has happened in Scotland in the last few weeks, but this is something that happened 100 years ago. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, but it's an article from Glasgow Live, Uh and it's recalling Glasgow's secret drinking dens that caused a scandal in the early 1900s. They were a response to new 10pm drinking laws that came in in the early 1900s, dedicated and determined that Glasgow punters um, took it upon themselves to set up uh, private drinking saloons where they could uh, get on it until the until the early hours of the morning. 
So the the reason the laws were set up is because you know the same stuff that we hear about alcohol even today. You know, it was contributing to things to societal problems like excuse me, uh, crime, poverty, domestic violence, and there were numerous calls in Scotland to place limits on the sale of the demon drink. That things came to a head with the passing of the Licensing Scotland Act 1903, which stipulated that public houses across the land must close their doors at 10 o'clock at the absolute latest. Uh, and for the majority of Glasgow's pubs, this meant closing an hour earlier than before. Within weeks of the new laws coming into effect, there was a marked improvement in the number of alcohol-related offences in Glasgow. Uh, police court records showed a drop of 88 cases and 23 drunks compared with the same period a year earlier. Uh, la- the pub landlords said they only suffered very slightly from a financial point of view, and the majority of them admitted that uh, the, re- the reduction in hours had proved beneficial from a health perspective. But not everybody was happy with being told when they could and couldn't consume an alcoholic beverage. In July mm. 1904, the Dundee Evening Telegraph reported on the emergence of secret drinking dens in Glasgow, with one club in particular experiencing a rush of customers between the hours of 10pm and 11pm each night. One club owner told the newspaper, During the past month, our place has done terrific business after 10 o'clock in the evening. <laughs> really, there's been a quite a rush for the club every night, so much so that members began to object to the numerous friends that were being introduced. The regular members were left without elbow room at the bar and had to wait an unconsciously long time for any refreshment which they ordered. One night, a member brought up seven friends with him. <laughs> The ten, the 10 o'clock scheme has done the clubs no harm whatsoever, I can assure you. Uh, the newspaper reported that another Glasgow club had, in, had increased its membership by 100 people since the end of May. Outside of the clubs, there was also evidence that private drinking dens were being organised by many locals. In one part of Glasgow, a group of young men opted to form their own night gathering called the 11 o'clock Brotherhood. <laughs> 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 One of the men rented a room in a dwelling house as an ordinary boarder or lodger and took it upon himself to order in a week's supply of hard liquor for himself and his friends. The private quarters, some might even call them shabins, were open every night of the week and would be met with a steady influx of punters after the pubs closed at 10pm. The Brotherhood scheme operated semi-legally by ensuring that no money transactions were made for the sale of the alcohol thus avoiding police raids. Members simply contributed equally to a weekly pot which was used to purchase the booze for consumption after 10 o'clock. The members assert that they had no desire to run a drinking saloon, reported the Dundee Telegraph. They have simply taken this course as a sort of private protest against what they consider an interference with liberty. And if you believe that, you'll fucking believe anything. Um, (laughs) The secretary, or managing brother, as they prefer to call him, has had lots of applications for membership. But so far, the original crowd have been kept together. How long the brotherhood will continue to exist is another matter. So, we've all been there. We've been in the pub, we're having a lovely time. Really nice night, having a good laugh. And then all of a sudden, landlord rings the bell. Time, ladies and gentlemen. Have you ever had a lock-in, Nicky? Um... Yes, um, I have, but not kind of. I, I've known people there. If you yeah, know yeah, I mean. yeah. 
So yeah, I have. I had a had a couple of lock-ins at Revolution before I worked there. Oh really? Um, because I knew some of the staff there anyway, and ended up there towards the end of the night with staff members mm-hmm. and then the bar had closed and then the people were like oh no it's okay we stay for drinks afterwards so stay i mean i don't know if that's it's, that's not technically a lock-in really i, I effectively stayed for staff drinks yes. with people so i don't know if that counts as a lock-in really so maybe not we, we, we had walk-ins at punana when our mutual friend Brett worked there. Oh, yeah. I've, yeah, of course, yeah. I've de- That's the same kind of thing, yeah. Well, I've definitely left there when the sun's been coming up. <laughs> yeah. It's a bit more than just staff drinks. <laughs> yeah, that's true, yeah. Um. So, yeah, I guess that's kind of, yeah. Yeah. So I have, yeah. The first pub I worked in, um, mentioned it before, it was in the countryside, in a little village in the northeast of Scotland countryside, and there used to be a lot of farmers that used to come on a Friday and Saturday night, and they just fucking would never leave. You know what I mean? And they used to all... Because I, th- mm. I think, like, previous... Uh, owners had been quite fond of a dram and enjoyed a lock-in and would usually uh, let them hang back for as long as they wanted so it was always really difficult to get them to go but um i have uh, i've seen like you just end up just sort of giving in <laughs> and hope the police don't come and you know it's a sort of if you can't beat them join them sort of thing especially when it's not your pub your license and your booze you know because what's the laws in that so if no money changes hands is it okay you could say it's just a private party or a private gathering I th- or i think is that still i think illegal? i think you could say that before i think so health and safety and stuff like that if you had a if you have a lock-in and somebody was to injure themselves and it's like a public obviously like a pub's a kind of public place isn't it it could uh, hmm. cause you problems with your license i think if yeah if there's any sort of anti-social behavior that arises uh from you having the lock-in i think that can fuck you up a bit um hmm. but yeah i think better just to sort of stay away i mean I, I don't think i don't think i think lock-ins are a thing in the past now anyway i don't think anybody takes yeah, MB takes a business seriously as they did when, <laughs> when we were <laughs> when we were younger. Well, but but I mean, even when we were you know younger, the, I mean, it still exists in Aberdeen as well. There's pubs that open at seven o'clock in the morning for the night shift. So yeah. you know, effectively, okay, you've got that. If you were out clubbing, you've got that dark period between three and seven mm. where you don't know where you're getting a, a beer from, yeah. but. <laughs> You can still find somewhere, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, you just end up going back to a house party and then and go back out again, and heading back to the pub at seven. Yeah. yeah, we've done that a few times. Um, I remember, I remember going for it would be now. I think Stuart Plava, a friend of ours. Um, he was going travelling. Him and his girlfriend Claudia were going travelling, so they were they had a bit of a leaving party, and then they so they had but they had separate leaving parties. So Claudia went out with all her girlfriends, um, and. Stuart went out with all the boys and uh, it was like it was like 2am and we ended up at some random's house and then we ended up in um, in C&A <laughs> on Union Street uh, in the morning uh, having breakfast and it was one of those ones where I sort of my sort of conscience consciousness sort of switched back on in CNA. I mean, I, I sort of remembered being at the party and I remembered walking down to CNA and everything, but I wasn't really there. I was sort of like, like observing. <laughs> but then I, I, I clicked back in again, you know, and I was having a fire. Can I just clarify? I don't think CNA had a cafe. Was it, Do you mean British home stores? British home stores must have been, yeah. When the, yeah. yeah well, that was all, yeah. That was a classic um, yeah, yeah. cafe that they had there, yeah. So I, I had a, a fry-up in there, and then we ended up in a bridge bar at, like, 
9am <laughs> and it's just you know it's just you get to that stage where you're kind of right I really need to just go home but you've sort of you got a bit of the fear because you're like well if I just if I stop yeah. if I stop drinking then it's just going to catch up with me yeah you know what I mean it's like this it's game it's over. like the snake eating the tail <laughs> it's yeah it's it's a horrible when you when the sun's up and yeah I mean I remember one night I was out with you our mutual friend and Prince Charming uh, or Techno Jock I guess yeah. we could call him the, the um, artist the artist formerly known as Prince Charming <laughs> yeah now known as Techno Jock and we yeah we'd, we'd been out and we went back to our mutual friend and yours flat yeah. and stayed up for a few hours <laughs> yeah. um and then i think you and a mutual friend went to bed and it was just me and techno jock sat there and it got to like about five o'clock and we we're like schooner opens in an hour <laughs> fancy a beer yeah fuck it so we meandered down george street and then we we ended up stopping for 20 minutes at this um toilet on George Street because it had these automatic doors and we just kept jumping in and out pretending we were in Star Trek and we were just in aesthetics um, and then we got to the schooner and then yeah we sat there for a couple of hours just drinking pints and doing poppers in the toilets <laughs> <laughs> and I think and that was horrifying getting the bus home at like 10am on a Saturday um, going up to Union Street because at that time Union Street was still you know yeah. shopping central yeah, so packed. it was packed and I was fucking peshed <laughs> full of poppers full of powder <laughs> um, and getting the number 15 bus back to Hazelhead <laughs> by 10 o'clock <laughs> went in went to bed and then went for my 6 o'clock start at the Athol um, <laughs> so Working behind the bar, well, feeling great. So yeah, well, that that happy days. That night, um, or other like that night, like the Saturday night that you're talking about. After mm. that, um, or the scourge of the British Transport Police, or uh, mutual friend, uh, and our mutual friend who I shared a flat with, dragged me to the works to see some DJ that I had no interest in seeing and uh, like <laughs> zero interest. But you know how you know what you know what like our mutual friend can be like. He, could, he, he, he sort of browbeats you into doing things mm. that you don't want to do. So I went. Um, I went and had a couple of drinks with them. I was I wasn't feeling great. Like I phoned in sick to work that day and everything. I was really worried that somebody from <laughs> I was really worried that somebody from work would see me out. Um, and uh, I think I left about 20 minutes after it actually started <laughs> i just i just slipped away without telling anybody um and I went home and and just had, and enjoyed like a lovely sort of three or four hours relaxing on the sofa watching a film until they came fucking rolling in um from their night out and i just went to bed <laughs> oh, happy days yeah. happy days good times many years ago exactly yeah i'm definitely not match fit for that sort of carry on these days um no definitely not <laughs> Anyway, that was my first story. What's your first story for this episode? Uh, my first story is from the Scottish Sun this week, Greg, and the headline reads, Wild animals inside wild party town Scots can't get enough of with 80p pints and raunchy clubs. So this kind of ties in with what we've just been speaking about. <laughs> no way. Uh, Scots revellers are jetting off on holiday looking for some all-night partying or flocking to a new destination. Holidaymakers have been known to visit places like Magaluf, Ibiza and Zante for booze-fueled trips like stag do's and hen parties. But now, a different destination is quickly becoming a new favourite with Scots because of its cheap drink 
and raunchy sex clubs. Scots are now flying to Bulgaria to visit its popular sunny beach area. It used to be known as a sought-after spot for families, but now it is overrun with Scots drunk partygoers. <laughs> a new E4 show called Emergency on Sunny Beach looks at the party chaos that occurs on the area in a nightly basis. In the six-part documentary series, local police claim that visitors from Scotland and the UK cause the most problems. The show lays bare the true extent of the trouble visitors cause and looks at what a night in the area looks like. Couples were seen having romps in public streets while young men stripped naked after having too much to drink in bars and restaurants. They also saw people passed out in the street whilst a pensioner was staggering around trying to get back to their hotel because they were so drunk. Uh, whilst women strip and go topless on a fairground ride as part of a promotion to get on it for free. On the show, two 20-year-olds from Edinburgh are filmed covered in cuts and bruises and getting tattoos. <laughs> Holly, a student, decides to get a tattoo of a butterfly on her tricep. Whilst Demi, a caretaker, got the words, smoke weed every day, <laughs> oh wait, inked across her thigh in Arabic. <laughs> Demi says on the show, I can't speak Arabic, but it started a few conversations by the pool. If my family asks, they'll just say it says live, laugh, love. <laughs> Demi, who was covered in cuts and bruises on her body after giving someone a piggyback whilst intoxicated, she added, lesson learned, don't give anyone a piggyback when you're pushed. <laughs> And don't run when you're doing it, because you'll have to pay a lot of money. Oh, and take out insurance. <laughs> um, others across the UK also star in the show, including a 21-year-old Mason from Essex. I wish he was from Scotland, but mm. hey, we'll, you know, we can't have everything here. Um, he told filmmakers, I'm 21, uh, Essex. So, oh, I'm from Essex. Oh, yeah. uh, I'm 21. A young buck, I've got a lot of goals, and I'm going to make Sunny Beach my oyster. I want to shag a milf <laughs> and shag loads of foreign birds because I love foreign birds. <laughs> the town of Bansko is visited by a, around 100,000 Brits a year due to its 80 pea pints and bars that sell Viagra jellies. <laughs> Uh, there are also all-you-can-drink nights that cost as little as 30 euros and hotel rooms that cost the same amount per night. A bar owner also told the documentary that UK partygoers are like wild, filthy animals. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, the owner of the club said the young British lads are like wild animals. Some people try to have sex in their club. Someone's going to be lucky. That's why we also give away condoms so they can practice safe sex. So... I don't know where to start here. Um, let's start with getting a smoke weed every day tattoo in Arabic. And I love Demi clarified, I don't speak Arabic. But... <laughs> they could, I mean, they could literally say anything. They could say fucking Happy Easter or something. She, she wouldn't know, do you know what I mean? She'd have to get somebody who can read Arabic to tell her if it actually <clears throat> says what she thinks it says. I mean, do you think there's an Arabic translation for Easter, given it is called <laughs> Christian holiday? <laughs> but... But then is there an Arabic translation for smoke weed every day? <laughs> so I suspect, you know, it might say like, glory be to Allah or something like that in, her, in Arabic on her leg. She's going to feel right numpty. Well, she? she's just going to tell her family it says live, laugh, love. Yeah. So it's fine. Yeah. 
Because that's a lot better. How funny would it be if that's what it actually said, though? <laughs> <laughs> and what she says, yeah, it started a few conversations by the pool. Yeah. What? People saying, what does that say? No, people probably saying, she's like, people probably saying, that looks sore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because, you know, you get so much instructions. I got a new tattoo last week and the list of instructions I get yeah. from the, the woman and she's like, okay, don't go in the sun, don't go in a pool, don't bath for like two weeks, you know, yeah. just shower lightly. Keep it and dry. Like, yeah. But the amount of idiots that, She's obviously got this smoke weed every day tattoo on her thigh, and then she's lying in the sun and going in a fucking chlorine-filmed pool. Like that's that tattoo's not going to turn out well. I'll just say that. You have to wonder how the conversation went with the tattoo artists. You know, she's like, eh, I want, I want, I want, I want to say smoke weed every day in my leg and that, but it can't be in English because my man da might see it. <laughs> what do you recommend? Fuck knows, Arabic. <laughs> <laughs> I guarantee she's literally just put that into Google Translate and yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> fuck but that's a, that'd be a good follow up in terms of um, obviously let's put smoke weed every day into Google Translate <laughs> see what it says in Arabic and then if you could ask someone <laughs> just by the, do you know by the neighbours to, to say what what does this say <laughs> and we can we can find out exactly what Demi's tattoo actually says <laughs> yeah it probably says, I am smoking marijuana each day. Like, that'll be a literal <laughs> translation or something. <laughs> you should smoke marijuana each day. <laughs> and uh, what do you think about Mason from Essex? He wants to shag a MILF and shag loads of foreign birds because I love foreign birds. Uh, I think that Mason, this might be his first time out of the country, <laughs> perhaps, <laughs> without, without his mum and dad. <laughs> uh, would you try a Viagra jelly? Uh, I don't think... <laughs> I mean, there is. I mean, there's an inherent risk there, right? So, like, if you have one for a laugh, you're somewhere on, <laughs> you're somewhere on holiday. You're probably going to be wearing shorts, right? Because it'll be warm. You're not going to be going for a night out in a pair of <laughs> denims, you know. So you have your Viagra jelly, you know. You'll be wandering about the the right numpty all night. There's something quite ironic about that because obviously jelly is quite wobbly. But, <laughs> yes, um... <exactly>. <laughs> 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 I wonder if it's a stiff jelly. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, J- jelly known famously for not holding anything up. Yeah. So, uh, is your next holiday destination going to be sunny beach in Bulgaria? Well, I mean, I remember when we were like you mentioned uh, my old pal Malky earlier on when we were planning his stag do because he got married before I did. His best man said, "Oh, I've been reading about Hungary, about Budapest, and it's mm. like it's like Prague." It's like pints are sixty p, and you can get like a steak dinner for like three quids and all this shit, right? So we were like, "Great, let's go there." It was fucking nothing like <laughs> nothing like that <laughs> at all. Uh, certainly not in the places that we went. I mean, it was just as expensive, if not more expensive, than a night out in Glasgow at the time. Um, but I remember everybody saying that. Oh my god! They, the first time I ever heard about Prague, it was somebody telling me that you could get a pint for thirty pence. Oh mm. yeah, I should go to Prague and get a pint for like thirty pence and all that. Um, and it turns out not to be the case. But I can't imagine that uh, Sunny Beach is going to be charging. Would you say it was like seventy pence a pint or something for uh, too much longer? Eighty p. Yeah, a pint. Yeah, I'm sure. Eighty p. I, I don't know how much the Viagra. <laughs> I'm sure the I'm sure they'll be putting the prices up weekly, especially now they've been on the telly. Exactly. Yeah. So I might have to watch that and see. Yeah, I might see Demi getting her, her <laughs> smoke weed every day tattoo. 
<laughs> Good luck to her and um, her friend who's got the butterfly on her tricep. Uh, okay, Greg, uh, what else have you seen this week? Okay, so my next story uh, concerns a Swally favourite. Um, of ours, uh, Brian Cox. Um, it comes from the day of the record uh, on the 29th of October. Um, and this is Brian is talking about how he loves discovering other countries' versions of the Forfer Bridey, uh, famous oh. uh, baked um, delight uh, from the, the Northeast. Um, the Scot, who has most recently starred as media mogul Logan Roy in hit TV series Succession, also revealed that he yearns for the food from his childhood. Since leaving Scotland to live in both London and the US, Cox said native Scottish foods and celebrations that go with them have become more important to him. The 77-year-old who provides the foreword for a new cooking book um, called Scottish Celebrations by Scotland's national chef uh, Gary McLean said, For more than 60 years now, I've travelled the world for films, TV and the theatre and have seen similarities and differences in food around the globe. Every culture has its forfer bridey. In Latin America, it's an empanada. In India, it's a samosa. Growing up in Dundee, as the youngest of five in a less than well-off family, my mother, was a, who was a spinner, was only able to work intermittently following the death of my father when I was eight. But I still remember meals that were real celebrations. Clutty dumplings, forfer bridies, haggis, mince and tatties were meals for all. Maybe vegetables and fruit if you had your own garden patch. <laughs> Fish was caught yourself, as nowhere is that far from a river or the sea. Raspberries and brambles were picked in the wild. Historically, even oysters and lobsters were considered food for the poor. Uh, McLean's book, which is published by Black and White, sees the, mast- sees the master chef, the professionals champion, share treasured traditions and contemporary recipes from Scotland. In the foreword, Cox writes, For those of us who have moved elsewhere in the world, our Scottish history has come with us and is keenly felt wherever we end up. We never lose our Scottishness. So with my years living in London, Los Angeles and New York, my love for my native country is renewed in celebrations and with food that simple or rich go with them. So you and I are a lot like Brian Cox (laughs) in the sense Mm. that we... uh, We've not lived in Scotland for quite a long time. I know that you you miss a buttery from Aberdeen. You always uh, you oh yeah. You stock up on a few when you're uh, when you're when you make a trip back and take them back to Amsterdam. Yep. Anything else that you really miss? Um, yeah, I mean, there's a few things. I mean, obviously now I'm vegetarian, so yeah, I do miss Scotch pies and haggis. I, I used to. I mean, you kind of get them quite readily in Dubai, so. I was able to, to mm. eat them. But yeah, yeah. That was that was before I was vegetarian. I would say it's not so much I miss. Like uh, there's an expat shop here that I can go to and I can get like tonics, caramel wafers, tea cakes, logs, iron brew, tenants, McEwan's export. <laughs> That's all kind of the stuff I miss. Yeah. Like in terms of what I would say it's butteries. That's the main thing that I miss, really. Like you can't get them here. And I've I have thought about making my own because there are a few recipes online but fucking hell it takes about four hours and it's a lot of faff and then you're just left with all these butties but I guess I could freeze them so I think that's kind of it like I don't know I can't think of anything else like food wise that I really really miss what about yourself um I, I mean I don't like 
when I'm when I'm home, there are things that I look forward to having. Right, so some of the things you mm. mentioned. Uh, I love a potato scone. Love potato scones either as part of a fry up ensemble or just in a roll or even just on its own. I can love potato scones. Um, but I don't find my. I, the thing is, it makes it a bit more special when I go home to have those mm. things. Mm-hmm. I think if I was if I was able to have uh, potato scones here all the time. It wouldn't be the same when I went home. You know what I mean? Like I've never been, I never really could be that obsessive over anything like sort of food wise. That you know, and iron brews kind of let me down a bit because they've changed the recipe. <laughs> so I, I like having the 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 nineteen ten recipe. Did you try the one that I gave you a can? Didn't I? You've not drank it yet. Give me a give me a bottle. Oh, I still haven't drank it. I've still I've yeah. I've still got it. I've still opened. Yeah, um, yeah. But it's unopened. But I'm kind of saving it for a special occasion. Yeah, maybe maybe you can. I know you're moving house soon. Maybe you can christen your new house hmm. with it. Maybe. Uh, yeah, be a nice thing. Bottle iron brew. I, I agree with you. I think that's maybe why. Like, if I go to the expat shop, I won't buy cans of tenants. Mm. Mainly because they're about four euros a can. And Heineken's like 90 cents in the supermarket. (laughs) So have that. But if I'm back in Scotland, you know, the last few times I've been back, I've been back with you, for example, and I'll only drink tenants. Mm -hmm. And like solely, unless our mutual friend drags us to Brewdog because he always does, because Because obviously the best chicken wings. wings. Um, But yeah, if I'm in a pub, I'll I'll just, I'll drink tenants the whole time I'm there because it's almost like a, I, I miss this. But if I was there, yeah, no, even if I was living in Scotland, I'd still probably drink tenants all the time because yeah. it's lovely. So, <laughs> but yeah, I do find, yeah, there are stuff that I look forward to. Mm. Um, I think I might, next time I'm back, I might, although I don't really, I haven't eaten fish for a while, I might hammer a fish supper or something just because it's, yeah, yeah I do miss that. Yeah, I mean, I lived in England for a couple of years as an adult, but also as a kid before, you know, for like a few years as a kid when we lived down there for a while. And so I've lived like in the northwest of England and I've lived in the Midlands and I've never had a good chippy in England um, mm. sorry English listeners but uh, you know you like what you like but I just I've, I just never had a decent chippy whereas here in Dubai there is like a there's a there's like a chip like a fish and chips shop but it's not great it's not the same so when i go home i mean i think i said in the swa i said on the swally i think uh, a few episodes ago when i was at home in the summer my cousin and i went out one saturday on a bit of a day like the sort of days that we were talking about er- <laughs> earlier on on the lash and uh, i went to the blue lagoon on queen street and i had a roll and chips and i can't tell you how much i enjoyed it honestly <laughs> I, honestly it was fucking so good and i was thinking to myself that night well it was probably because you were a bit pissed so a few days later my daughter and i were in town and i thought i'm going to put this theory at the test so i went <laughs> i went and bought another rolling chips in the blue lagoon and it was fucking amazing and i bought my daughter one as well uh she couldn't finish it so i got like wow. one and a third um <laughs> rolls and chips uh so yeah so they I, I will find myself occasionally missing some of the things that, you know, just aren't good for you um, from home. But, you know, it just, as I say, it just makes it more special when you go back and you can enjoy mm. these things when you're back for a wee holiday. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I definitely, whenever I was back previously, like if I went to a pub for lunch, I'd always order like haggis mm. because, and I, 
ordinarily I never would if I you know if I was living there I probably wouldn't have haggis yeah. like you know what I mean but because I was back I would order haggis because it was just a, a novelty yeah. to have but for sure I don't know what I'll do now we we always have yeah. um, I mean it's not a Scottish dish but in the sense that Scotland can't, can't claim it but we can claim the tradition that like we always have steak pie on the first of January every mm. year it's like a bit it's a sort of Scottish way I think like, my granny used to serve steak pie after the bells because that was a tradition you know what I mean you would yeah. see the bells in and you sit down to your steak pie but then it's as you get older you're never sober enough <laughs> After the bells, <laughs> to sit down have a civilized meal. So it's sort of um, it's, it's it's sort of moved into kind of New Year's day, sort of New Year's Day meal, you know. Yeah. Ah, oh, very good. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Uh, I'm hungry now. Yeah, I know. I'm pretty hungry for a roll and chips and a bull again. <laughs> All right, that was my uh, next story. Which what's your next one? My next story is from the Daily Record this week, Greg, and it is about a pro wrestler who has been slammed for comparing Scottish women to Shrek after starring in a WWE show in Glasgow. So this is professional wrestler Grayson Waller, 33. He was in Glasgow for the WWE show at the Hydro earlier this week, and he posted the controversial comments on Twitter, which is now known as X, alongside a selfie. The snap, which showed him in a dark jacket and black hat, was taken on the corner of St Vincent Street and Buchanan Street in Glasgow city centre. The Australian captioned his post, Scotland is great. That's not an Australian accent, is it? No. Crocodile Dundee, you know. That's not a knife. <laughs> Scotland's great. It's dark before 5pm, freezing cold, and all the women look and talk like Shrek. Scottish fans were quick to stick up for themselves, their loved ones, and their country. One said, meet me in Dundee and say that to my face. <laughs> While another... <laughs> Oh dear. <laughs> well, well, another added, watch your back. <laughs> watch your um, back. <laughs> watch your back. <laughs> a third posted, respect our country, but anyway, can say a lot about America. He's Australian. <laughs> uh, whilst, a, whilst a fourth said, chill out and have an iron brew. <laughs> um, <laughs> a, a fifth person wrote, it's basically winter, to be fair, you clown. <laughs> It's, it's, it's kind of meant to be cold. <laughs> uh, while a sixth person just added, you suck, Grayson Waller. When asked for the view on Waller's comments by the Daily Record, a spokesman for the Scottish Feminist Network said, who is this Grayson Waller and why should we care what he thinks? Uh, Waller, whose real name is Matthew Farrelly, is a heel in wrestling, which basically means he's the pantomime villain of the sport who regularly tries to rile fans with his comments. The latest controversy comes just days after he sparked fury with Taylor Swift fans. He branded her fans known as Swifties ugly losers. I take offence to that, Grayson, you know, because I am a Swiftie. <laughs> so I take fucking offence to that. Um, he also rated her a six. Oh, come on, she's a ten. When discussing her relationship with NFL player Travis Kelsey. Uh, he wrote, good on Trav. I'm not the sort of guy that would settle for a six, but each to their own. For me personally, I like a bit of spice. I like a nine or a ten. Uh, I know Austin, it's um, his tag team partner, Austin Theory. I know Austin does too. We're on the same level, but good for him for settling and trying his best. Some Swifties hit back with one writing, your biggest accomplishment is being a clout chaser because you know you will never have that even at the peak of your career. That's why everyone knows John Cena 
but you narcissists will never have shame. <laughs> uh, Waller, who made his WWE debut in 2021, is tipped by many to become one of the brand's biggest stars. I don't think he is, to be honest, because I am a WWE fan. <laughs> um, and is sparred with legends such as Edge and John Cena. So there you go, Greg. Do you think that um, all Scotch women look and sound like Shrek? <laughs> Certainly not. Even in Glasgow, that isn't true. But he's obviously... He's obviously just leaning into his wrestling persona. Oh, of course, you know he is. I mean? yeah. I mean, I'm a I'm a big wrestling fan, and there's a yeah. He's he's trying to emulate the, the greatest heel in the business at the moment is a guy from AEW who's called um, MJF, and he he's never out of character. Like even at signings and stuff, he will tell little kids to fuck off <laughs> and tell them tell them they're fat and stuff, but. It's it's all kind of it's it's part of his persona and they love it mm. because he's being this heel. So yeah, he's just leaning into his kind of heel persona. I'm sure he doesn't genuinely think that. No. But I do love the guy saying, Meet me in Dundee and say it to my face. <laughs> it's probably a it's probably a, it's, it's probably fucking, a woman, isn't it? Probably, yeah. yeah. I mean Grace Waller, he's like he's like six feet five, built like a brick shit house and you know, some fucking I'd love to find out who said that to him. <laughs> <laughs> so Dundee Bassy. <laughs> see, see if I see you doing the volley, you're getting glazed. <laughs> Meet me at the Discovery. I'm gonna fucking you're claimed. Ram you on the boat. <laughs> so that's Grayson Waller um, criticizing Scottish women, but um, yeah, yeah. I'm sure you'll, I'm sure you'll learn his lesson. I mean, I can imagine that. If he was wrestling the night that uh, the night after he put the tweets out, I'm sure it probably made for a good bit of sort of atmosphere and a bit of fun in the arena, which is probably what his intention was all along. Old grannies smacking him with her handbag <laughs> like the days of Big Daddy <laughs> and giant haystacks. Wait, that fucking it, it, there's something that really fucking warms my heart when I see old footage of like old British wrestling and the front <laughs> and the front row is exclusively old ladies. <laughs> it's probably, my granny, my nana loved the wrestling. That's that's where it came from that I loved it because um, every Saturday I'd, I'd be round at hers and we'd um, we'd watch World of Sport. Yeah, and yeah. We'd watch Big Daddy and Kendo Nagasaki and Giant Haystacks. And I, I guess I probably watched Pat Roach. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, at some point without realising. And yeah, she loved it. She got right into it. Yeah, we love Big Daddy. Easy. That's Big Daddy Slam. Yeah. No, I I mean I used to watch it on a Saturday. I would always be at my at my gran and papa's on a Saturday. Because that, that was I'd go to my dad's for the weekend and my dad lived there. And uh we'd watch uh we'd watch the wrestling and then we'd watch Airwolf. So that used to be on on a Saturday afternoon, right after the wrestling. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes you would get a bit of American wrestling sometimes, just you know, and oh, yeah. it was always like it was always a lot more extreme than the British. Because remember, in the British wrestling, mm. you get like the the wrestlers would get they would get a public warning if they like they punched somebody or something like that. Remember? Yeah, you know, they, uh, giant haystacks is on a public warning. Um, <laughs> And then you'd watch the American wrestling. It just seemed a lot more sort of unchained, you know. They it seemed like they were really punching each other, and you know, and it was it just was a lot more athletic. I think is probably the best way to put it compared to the British wrestling, you know, which was like your know, big daddy, it's just like enormous, yeah. enormous fat bloke in a leotard, giant haystacks. This even more enormous fat bloke in a sort yeah. of like Viking outfit. <laughs> All they did was just like slam their belly into people, and that was basically it. Yeah. Like, that was the 
the whole point of it. <laughs> so yeah, a little bit more athletic. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, fans can get carried away. I, I, have I told this story in the pod before? Maybe I have, but I remember going to a WWE event in Abu Dhabi and it was a, like a house show. So it wasn't like a, a televised event, mm. but and it was great. And we were in the second row and in the front row, right in front of us was this, I'm going to say he was like Syrian or somebody, he was, he was an Arabic gentleman and he was, it, it was still real to him. Right. Like, <laughs> God damn it. He, he believed everything and sat next to him was this British like granddad with his like six year old son or uh, well, grandson. <laughs> And this Syrian guy was just going mental at everything, but he, he was, he, you know, he was fine. Yeah, like he was, he was animated, but there was nothing. It was you, know, you can say anything respectfully mental. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, until I think it was the main event. I think it was Dolph Ziggler against John Cena, and John Cena came out, and this gentleman did not like John Cena, and. It was almost, it was almost like a comic. The way he just, you could see him just building up. He was shaking. It was almost like the Ultimate Warrior when he used to yeah, run the ropes. Yeah. This guy was just shaking with anger, and as as John Cena kind of run past, he just fucking shouts at the top of his voice, "Fuck you, Cena!" <laughs> and the old guy next to him just turns around and was like, "No, no, that's too far." And immediately he's like, "Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry." <laughs> apologize for what he's done but just and then he kind of sat like for the rest of the show like a bit sheepish because he obviously is like i've gone too far but yeah just the way (laughs) fuck you cena (laughs) it's brilliant anyway um have you seen anything else this week um just very quickly uh Maybe of interest to some of our more intellectual listeners. Um, I'm sure they do have some out there. Um, but filming is underway in Glasgow for a new Ken Loach movie. Um, oh. The film's called On Falling. It's being made by the production company 16 Films, uh, which is owned by the screenwriter and filmmaker Kenneth Loach, uh, alongside his uh, producer, Rebecca O'Brien. Um, filming for the low-budget movie began last week and took place around the streets of the City Centre. It's the latest in a series of films shot in Glasgow by Ken Loach. Uh, We have covered two of them, uh, Sweet 16 and My Name is Joe. I think that's them all. Why don't we do more on that? Um, Mm -hmm. We we haven't done uh, Aphon Kiss yet, but maybe we'll do it next year. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Latest project, On Falling, is written and directed by Portuguese filmmaker Laura Carrilla, who's based in Edinburgh. Uh, Film was expected to continue in Glasgow this week, with some days in Edinburgh before concluding next month. A source told the Sunday Mail, Ken Loach is a directing legend, and anything attached to the production company is expected to be good. Uh, Filming for On Falling has already begun some scenes shot around Glasgow last week. It's unclear who's starring in the film, but if we know Kenneth Ken Loach, it's probably going to be people who we don't recognise because he tends to use um, mm. either amateur actors or or actors that have yet to sort of crack it. Yeah. So yeah, so we'll look forward to that. Oh no, we've, we've done three of Ken Loach's. We did the Angel Shade as well, didn't we? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah of course we yeah, did. Yeah. What about that? I did think we'd done another one, but yeah, yeah. What about that? Yeah, of course. So yeah, so we have wonderful, very good. So that's it. Well, yeah, we'll look forward to covering that on the Swally mm. in the in the future. Yeah, wonderful. All right. Okay. Well, uh, before we go on to what we're going to be talking about on the podcast today, let's have a little word 
from our sponsors. And our sponsor on this episode is Doric Skateboards. Doric Skateboards is a skateboard brand created by Gary Kemp, whose main focus is to explore the people and culture of Aberdeen and the northeast of Scotland, and to create designs that reflect that area. Doric Skateboards screen print their own decks in their studio by Gary's fair hand, and they've produced some amazing designs over the years, including an Annie Lennox-inspired board, a Robert the Bruce deck, and a Plenty of Pop deck inspired by the old Bond Accord trucks that used to drive around Aberdeen delivering fizzy drinks. Dorrit skateboards also replicate these amazing designs onto their clothing on 100% organic cotton tees, hoodies and sweatshirts and you can fill your boots on stickers, pin badges, beanies, caps and a whole lot more. Gary regularly collaborates with local artists to ensure he brings the latest designs to the market but always with a Doric twist including their amazing new Northfield tower design. Check out Dork Skateboards for yourself on dorkskateboards.com and follow them on Instagram at Doric Skateboards to see the amazing designs that they have on offer. And we are delighted to be able to offer you 15% off as listeners to this podcast. All you need to do is head to dorkskateboards.com, have a look at the amazing decks, stickers, badges, hoodies, tees and hats, everything they have on offer and enter the promo code SWALLY. That's S-W-A-L-L-Y, all in block capitals. Same with the name of this podcast to get your 15%. That's dorkskateboards.com. Okay, Greg. So it was your choice on the Swally this week. So why do you tell us what we're going to be talking about today? Well, I've gone for an an absolute classic. And it's been a long time since I've seen this. And I have to say, watching it for the Swally, I really, really, really enjoyed it. I picked uh, the first instalment, I guess, of the Slab Boys trilogy. Uh, which is called The Slab Boys, by uh, celebrated Scottish uh, writer and artist John Byrne. Um, the version that uh, that we watched, because there's a few versions out there, was the like, 1979 Play for Today production of it that was, would have been on the BBC back then. Um, it stars Swally favourite um, Gerald Kelly as Spanky, B- Billy McCall as uh, Phil, uh, Tom Watson as the gaffer, Willie Curry, um, Joseph McKenna as Hector, uh, Mark Windsor as Alan, Ida Schuster as Sadie, Jeanette Fogel as Lucille, um, and Jack, sorry, John McGlynn as Plucky Jack. So, yeah, had you, so when, 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 um, in the last episode, you mentioned that you weren't sure if you'd watched the Slab Boys before. Had you, had you seen it before? There was something very familiar about it when I watched it. So I think I may have seen it before, but many, many years ago, um, probably when I was a kid. I don't know if it had been repeated or something, mm. but it, it was familiar. Yeah. Um, but I guess this was kind of the first time I'd really been watching it and probably paying attention to it. Yeah, I, yeah, loved it. It's 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 wonderful it's just such a beautiful little play um it, it's very much a play like mm. i i love the fact it's just such a, a close set and it works so well it makes it feel like a real stage production yeah reminded me a lot of the steamy in a way i think because it's just very dialogue driven yeah and it, it's you know it's glasgow banter mm-hmm. effectively um and because it's a close set as well really enjoyed it really like the cast really find it very funny in places. Mm. My God, it made me miss Gerard Kelly so much. He's brilliant. 
He's so good in it. Although, I mean, they all are. Um, yeah, yeah, they really are. Um, but yeah, everyone's fantastic. That's the thing. Yeah, I mean, it was first... I mean, it, it was... It was written as a play, uh, and in the first production of it was in 1978, uh, and it was at the Traverse Theatre, and it was directed by Derek, uh, by Derek, directed by David Heyman, uh, who, who would have been a young, a young, a young guy himself. Um, uh, the, the directing it, uh, John Byrne had sent it into the Traverse Theatre. I was watching an interview with him, and uh, you know, he, John Byrne, he's as interesting a, a, a sort of character as um, as the play is. I think you know he's mm. he is he was born in Paisley in 1940. He went to he worked as a slab boy, which gave him the inspiration to write the play. But he was a very gifted artist from um, from a very young age, and he ended up going to Glasgow School of Art. Uh, so the character of Phil. Um, Phil McCann and the Slab Boys is sort of loosely based on John himself, although John was accepted into art school and of course poor Phil uh, doesn't quite make the grade as we find out toward the end of the play. Mm. But so he, you know, he's as well as writing the Slab Boys, he's written Tutti Fruity, which is something that I can't believe we haven't done yet on, on yeah. the pods. But I'm sure, you know, I'm sure we'll get to it next year. Uh, yeah, you know, he's he's just got some really famous uh, works of art in Glasgow a few years ago for Billy Conley's birthday. Uh, the council commissioned a number of uh, sort of gable end. Uh, paintings of Billy Connolly by famous artist and John Byrne, uh, who is a good friend of Connolly's anyway. He designed his big banana feet boots, and there's a painting, hmm. and there's a, there's a painting of Billy that uh, John did back in the 1970s, which is in the People's Palace in Glasgow, which unfortunately is closed because Glasgow City Council can't afford to open it, uh, keep it open, which is a real shame. But yeah, he's, he's a really, really interesting, eccentric guy. And if any listeners are interested in seeing a bit more of John, there's a fantastic interview with him uh, where Peter Capaldi interviews him that you can watch on um, you can watch yeah. on YouTube and it's a good it's a good hour and a half long and he, he talks about his life he's a very warm and funny guy as you might as you probably expect after watching the, the Slab Boys no I thought um, I mean it, it's brilliant in terms of the cast dynamic I think the the three kind of main guys you would say in terms of, of Hector Spanky and Phil mm. you know it, it's a wonderful dynamic. You can tell that Phil and Spanky are obviously very much the... They've been friends for quite a while, and they obviously amuse themselves by taking the piss out of Hector <laughs> a lot. But but you can see that they genuinely care about him yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. And the way they're looking after him and, and kind of making sure... And when they give him a, a makeover as such, which doesn't go quite so well, <laughs> yeah. but they do have his best interests at heart, really, although they, they do like taking the piss out of him. Yeah, well, they we find out more about Hector as the play goes on. You know, he's he's had problems with his mental health in the past. Mm. We find out that he's he's committed suicide before, and he's 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 the younger. He's, he's tried to commit suicide. Yeah, he's tried to commit suicide. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, he hasn't actually committed suicide, but he's he's tried. To, he's 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 attempted suicide before, and you know, so there are, and he's he's he, he's nineteen, but so but I guess he's supposed to be younger than than Phil and Spanky. Uh, no, they're all nineteen. All oh, right. Apparently, now I thought you would think that they are Hector is meant to be younger, but no. According to the play, um, they're all nineteen years old because even Alan is is nineteen. Yeah. So, um, they're all no, 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 nineteen. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're all they're all nineteen. Yeah. Which I find quite amusing because I I I presumed exactly as you did that Spanky and Phil were a little bit older. Yeah. Than him. Yeah. So. They're the, they're the sort of three main guys, although Hector kind of 
he's not he's not on stage as often as the other two. Hmm. But then you have Willie Curry, the the gaffer, uh, brilliantly played by Tom Watson. Um, hmm. He's just great in the part, especially when he goes into his little sort of reverie about uh, being in the jungle <laughs> in the Second World War. <laughs> And being in the <laughs> being in the desert, right? We never quite find out whether it's true or not. Um, if he's telling the truth yeah. or not, you've got um, you've got Jack, uh, who the all, all the who has been a slab boy himself at some point, obviously, but he's kind of got out of the the workshop and got himself a desk job. So he's he's really the the kind of brunt of the na- mm. of the kind of the kind of nastiest kind of joshing and humour uh, from Spanky and Phil. you got um, Alan, uh, played by Mark Windsor, who is the sort of good boy, comes from a rich family. His dad is a celebrated designer, um, and he's come for a bit of work experience. you got the, the glamorous Lucille, <laughs> who, played by Jeanette Fogo, who, her first, her first entrance... Really makes really really made me laugh because she comes on. Mm. She's very elegant. It's a complete hush as the boys all watch her come in, and then the first thing out her mouth is, <laughs> "Which one, you Clatty Gannets?" Is it Mrs. Walthamstow's lunch? <laughs> it's really broad uh, west of Scotland accent. But one of you Clatty Gannets has been in at Miss Walkinshaw's lunch pail. Her sardine and chutney sandwich is covered with raw sienna and her oranges went missing. You greedy pig, so you are. You know she's got a caliper. And then finally, there's uh, Sadie, the tea lady, uh, played by sort of veteran journey lady, actress, Scottish actress, actress, Ida Schuster. Mm. And that's the whole cast, you know, um, everybody's on. Yeah. Uh, and they're all brilliant characters, like brilliantly realized characters and it's very clear um that they're people that john byrne has known in his life to some extent you know i'm sure they're sort of caricatures of people that he's known in some cases but they're very very true to life characters i thought i think immediately you're kind of drawn in especially for me with the language Mm. of immediately the opening part is hector tuning this radio Mm. um and and spanky immediately just calls him a tube (laughs) yeah um and then we hear about Phil having the skitters. Yeah. And it just, like, it just makes me laugh so much. It's just childish humour, I guess. But just the word skitters will never not be funny. So, what, is it, what is it Watson says when he comes in later on and Spanky says that Phil's gone back to the toilet again and Willie's like, no, they're loose stools. Yes. <laughs> And it's just a, a genius. And, and again, throughout the whole play, you get Keith and Tolly. Um, <laughs> it's um, yeah, it's it's wonderful. Um, creepy breeks. <laughs> <laughs> even even Plucky yeah. is you know mentioned a lot, and that's a very Scottish word. But um, you're immediately just kind of drawn into it, and you're immediately there with the slab boys. Yeah, and. I mean, I'm kind of, it's not, okay, we know they work for a, a carpet or rug company mm-hmm. and, and they mix the, the paint. To mix the paints, yeah. Mix the colours to give to the designers for the factory. How does that work? Because they don't, like all this grinding they're doing. I mean, I guess it's just a, it, it didn't really make sense to me so in terms of what they're actually doing. They're the grinding together the powdered paint to make mm. other, you know, because you've got the primary colours which have yeah. to be mixed and and ground together to make you know the more exotic colors i suppose and essentially that's that's what they're doing 
<laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like all mm. day, every day. Like, like uh, Burns said, he based it on, he used to work in Stoddart's in Paisley when he was a slab boy. And he said that um, Stoddart's was, there was a few different uh, carpet manufacturers in, in Glasgow and around Paisley at the time. They, probably the most famous one is the Templeton uh, Carpet Factory in Glasgow Green, uh, which is now, is where the West Brewery is. I'm sure you've had a pint of West uh, Lager when you've been in Glasgow before. Mm. That's where the brewery is. Um, but what, mm-hmm. what John Burns was saying that Stoddart's was the only one where the paints were made in the workshop. He said everybody else was just buying the paints in from like wholesalers. Ah, um, okay. But he said Stoddart's had like sixty designers working in there, so it was obvious it must have wow. been a big, a big, a big business, a big operation. Okay, yeah, yeah that makes sense. Yeah, that makes um, perfect sense to me then in terms of that. And then they have to make a lot of gum as well yeah yeah i'm not sure what the gums for i mean i guess the, maybe the gums there to sort there to sort of affect the texture of the paint you know maybe some paint needs to be thicker than than others depending on what it's used for i'm assuming i don't know i'm not sure <laughs> don't know don't know but then then you've got you've got willie uh who's the gaffer who we find out has been a slab boy so he's a lot he's a lot older than um than uh Spanky and Hector and Phil and even Jack, but he's he's a lifer in the in the business. He's been there since he was a slab boy, and he's risen to the he's he's risen to the position of I guess manager, gaffer, or whatever. Yeah, you get the impression. I think he's the assistant manager because as he does say yeah. towards the end, like it, it wasn't his final decision. Um, right. Yeah. Know, he kind of begged, um, but it wasn't his choice. But yeah, he was a slab boy, and he's very much takes a pride in that that room. He does say, you know, this room used to be my pride and joy. Mm. When and I and I think he's pissed off at Spanky and Phil taking the piss all the time because he was very much, uh, you know, take pride in his work. And and I think it it, it does, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful line when he says to Spanky, um, that color cabinet is half empty, and <laughs> Spanky is well, it was half full this morning. <laughs> yeah. And it's just so clever in terms of just... Yeah, it's just... I mean, the whole play is just non-stop patter and banter. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the, like the whole way, even in its, even in the more serious moments and in the more emotional moments, you know, it's, you know they, there's, there's the whole sort of subplot about Phil's mum who mm. uh, is, you know, she's sort of had a nervous breakdown. She's... You know, she's been taken to the to the the mental health hospital. I suppose we have to call it in these um, more politically correct days. It's certainly not how she's referred to in the play. <laughs> um, she's gone for her holidays in the country, um, and um, you know, even in those moments, you know, obviously Phil, there's a he's sort of lead character in a way, and he's his bravado won't allow him to be particularly vulnerable and he mm. and he's the one that gets the the sort of the kind of the, the most emotional beating really in yeah. the in the play you know um and even even toward the end when they as you mentioned before when willie says like i tried to i, I, I tried i begged to get you a second chance and he you know you sort of see really well acted by billy mccall you sort of see this mm. Sort of surprise, but it's immediately replaced by again that ego and bravado and arrogance that just won't allow him. Yeah. You know, he's obviously got a, a a tough life at home, but he's a really gifted artist as well, and he's all he wants to do is get out the get out of the the workshop and go to Glasgow School of Art and kind of change his life, which is quite a sensitive thing to do. But he could never, he won't allow himself to articulate it that way. You know. It's all kind of, ah, well, you know? No, as you say, I think, yeah, Phil is kind of the the central character because we obviously, 
we hear about Hector having previously taken an overdose and was 150 aspirin and drank a bottle of Domestos. Yeah. Um, and obviously we know a lot about Phil's private life and background, but you know, Spanky, we don't know anything no. really about him. Yeah. Nothing at all. He doesn't give anything away. Yeah. But you're right, there's a lot of darkness in, in Phil's storyline, especially about his mum, but it is played with a bit of humour as well. Like, I can't help but laugh when, you know... It, when he says, you know, she put in the cooperative windows last night and ran up the street with her hair on fire. <laughs> yeah. Here, and even the towards the end, because obviously his mum then escapes from yeah. the, the mental institute. But when they say, he gets the note to say that she's been found in the river. And don't worry, the grappling hooks didn't pierce the skin. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, you're like, what the fuck happened here? <laughs> you're thinking half your heat's catching, Spanks. But you mean like Jack's plukes? No, I'm serious. You're mugging. Aye. They took her away last night. She wasn't all that bad either. No for her, that is. All she did was put in the cooperative windies and run up the street with her hair on fire. How long has she been for this time? Ah, the usual six weeks, probably. First week tied to a rubber mattress, the next five wired up to a generator. Shocking. No, as for me getting to see her when she's undergoing that SSED treatment. Never knew it the last time. Kept crossing herself with Lucasade and asked my father if he was aiming leave. My old man, he's hopeless. He thinks it's like diphtheria or that. The doctors are doing their best, Annie. You'll be home soon. Taking that medicine and give you. Medicine. An injection of Benzedrine if they fall asleep and a good bathroom if they don't. Much bother when they took her away last night. Nah, they get her a jack to knock her out so they could sign her in as a voluntary patient. It's, as well, it's when... Because because Willie has got a genuine concern there. Yeah. And when he's talking to him about, toward the end, what's happened to his mum, and he says how she jumped off a... She jumped off a car, a car roof through the window and she didn't have a cut or a scratch on her. And Willie's like, it's... <laughs> Must have been a miracle. And he says, no, it was a Ford Prefect. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a, a hugely kind of um, sad and, and not controversial, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Like a, a, a deep kind of storyline. But mm. it's it's played for laughs, but not in a, you know, you are concerned, obviously, for Phil and, and his mum. Yeah. But it's just, you know, they can't help but, but poke a bit of fun at it. It's that sort of thing that's, I think it's a particularly, I don't even want to say it's a particularly Scottish thing, but it's a particularly working class thing that, you know, like, in the time when this is set, life would have been pretty hard for a lot of people in that mm. sort of social class. And I don't know if it's just because I'm, because it, we're from Scotland or or if it's just the way that particularly the west of Scotland, they're just they sort of they sort of soften they sort of soften the 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 difficulties of their lives by this real gallows humour. <laughs> Do you know what yeah. I mean? And and yeah. and it can be quite shocking, I think, sometimes to people who aren't necessarily used to it, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's it you have to kind of find the humor in in things like that. And that's why, you know, you know what I'm like I you know, just same as you. Like I, I think I laugh at a lot of dark things. Yeah. And it, it it's yeah because it's I guess a, a Scottish kind of of trait that you can you have to find kind of the humour out of everything yeah really um otherwise what would you do yeah I mean arguably Billy Conley has made a hugely successful uh, career as a stand up by mm. taking that type of humour all over the world <laughs> you know what I mean. 
just you know they they sort of and he says it himself he's very humble about it he's, he's, they, the, the, his humour came from working alongside guys in the shipyard like fucking hard guys with hard jobs and Mm. difficult lives that were just brilliantly, brilliantly funny. Especially when it came to taking the piss out of each other, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, I guess to talk about the cast, like, if, if we, we deep dive into them, mm. um, let's start with Gerard Kelly, a spanky. Like, I oh, I miss him so much. I, I know we've discussed him before, but he's just been in so much yeah. for us, you know, from Scotch and Rye, City Lights, Killer, Bunny and Extras will go down yeah. as legendary, um, Callum Finnegan, the gangster in Brickside yeah. as well, which was a random role yeah. for Gerard Kelly, like this fucking Scottish hard man, whereas we all know that Gerard Kelly was yeah. just this beautiful camp yeah. maestro. Yeah, yeah. Um, so to see him play that was just phenomenal, but uh, he's great in this. Um, I mean, he's great in everything that he does, but he really gets a chance to kind of shine. And and he's very, you know, the, the banter he has with him and Phil, it's it's a, a lovely kind of relationship, but you also see a bit of a serious side to him as well. Yeah, I mean, he's, he show there's a, there's a lot of sensitivity there. You know, he's, he's, he, he sort of, he, Phil's clearly his mucker, you know what I mean? He's, 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 he's mm. you know, he's, and they, they're always sort of holding on to each other, laughing and falling over, Usually at somebody's yeah. somebody else's expense, but there's a lot of sensitivity to him too, especially when it comes to Hector. He's trying to stop Hector from getting in trouble by hiding him in the cupboard, and when he finds out, <laughs> when he finds out that um, Hector's ran away and he, all he's got on is his his simmet. Even to the point where Hector climbs in through when he he pulls Hector in through the window because he's climbed up onto the third floor and uh, has terrified the seal. <laughs> Just as Spanky's trying to ask her out. Yeah, you know, and then when he finds out that um, Phil's been given his books, you know, mm. and he finds out that, you know, he, he takes the call from the hospital to say that Phil's mum's escaped. You know, and he can't, you know, he, he, you can tell that for all the, the laughing and joking and, and kind of fucking around and stuff, he wants to be a good mate to Phil, you know, mm. hey, buying him his tea and, you know, and everything else and get and even pays for Phil's ticket for the dance mm. to Sadie when she comes up for her 15 shillings. No, he's a he's a good guy. And as you say, you can tell, you know, him and Phil are, are, are good mates. They they often do the, the kind of the it's almost like an English or a posh kind of Edinburgh voice when yeah. they are doing little. Little jokes with each other, and as you say, you know, obviously cares about Hector. They, they speak about getting his clothes sorted and giving him a makeover, and um, he, he's hiding him. Um, and he's the one that, when he thinks Hector's getting his P forty five, he starts a you know, a mini kind of collection. Yeah, that's right. To yeah. Tide him over for a bit. It's it's his idea. So he's a he's a genuine nice guy. But then you know, towards the end, when they have to to do some more. They have to make some more glue or, yeah. or, or gum. Um, you know, he's kind of knuckling down, whereas Phil obviously is no longer working yeah. there. But you see a different side towards the end, and it's almost like a, a coldness. And I, I think it's a almost a, he doesn't want to come to terms with the fact that Phil's no longer there um, and yeah. going to be working there. And it, it's almost a, right, if I just put my head down and get on with this and I don't have to think about it, mm-hmm. then it's, it's not going to happen in a way because... He does change dramatically, you know, towards the very end. Yeah, I think as well. There's 
you know, because he, he, he thinks that Hector has lost his job as well. We find out later that mm. actually it's quite the opposite. And, you know, there seems to be, a, there's, you know, as, as much as he wants to sort of while away the hours of the shift by fucking about and skiving and everything else, it's almost like it's a bit of a kind of wake up to him because he's like, wait, I, I, I can't afford to lose this job. You know what I mean? Yeah. I need to just go yeah. on with it. You know, it's 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 sort of sobered him. Maybe the events of the day, and then he, you know, he, he sees Hector, who's been on the bottom rung of the little sort of hierarchy in this in the room in the slab room. Um, you know, he's he's the one who really kind of wins the day. Really, he gets promoted. He gets two weeks of back pay for his new position. Um, <laughs> you know, and uh, you know, I wonder with Spanky, it's sort of like, right, fuck, my mate's lost his job. They've just seen this wee guy get promoted over the top of me and uh, I could just as easily lose my job but equally I could just as easily get a get a leg up if I do a good job you know now just a, a quick query about this because I mean we'll come on to Alan shortly but when Alan comes in they, they immediately ask him you know how much are you getting paid and he says three pounds a week yeah and Spanky says Christ that's more than the three of us combined mm. in terms of Hector Spanky and Phil yeah then when Hector has been promoted to the design room he says he's on 12 pounds a week yeah you're like wait a minute but you're the same age as alan alan's a university graduate what's what's alan doing he's got an office job but hector's got a, hey fair play i'm delighted for hector but then he's <laughs> going to be earning four times as much as alan is yeah and over 12 times he's, he's got like a 12 times pay rise yeah. effectively yeah maybe it's just a little detail that maybe they didn't pay a lot of attention to. Maybe, you know, okay. potentially, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I don't know if, like, the slab boys are sort of, like, apprentices or something, maybe in some some shape or form, perhaps. Um, and that's why their their wages are so low. I don't know. I mean, I know, say, a kind of different time. But, um, yeah, I'm not too sure. I'm not, I, I just I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, obviously, as um, is alluded to later on, like, I mean, Phil and Spanky, they're just... They don't give a fuck, and mm. they're just pissing about. They and they're actually jealous of anyone that takes an interest. Yeah, because yeah. I think, um, as Joe says at one point, that Hector, when he started, he, he was taking an interest yeah. and wanted to look at design magazines, but they took the piss out of him mm -hmm. effectively. And and it, that kind of strikes me. I I can relate to that in a way in terms of the you know oh uh, yeah, yeah you actually care about this job you're wanting to, <laughs> to do well, but you know they're a pair of bully boys really, and like neither of them take any interest they're just there to muck around and to smoke and have a and laugh and have a laugh yeah yeah and they and they every time sadie comes in with a tea trolley spanky always nicks a couple of cakes like every single time yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah i did like that it's a, it's a, a nice little uh little note um but yeah i mean sadie what's it your uh the tea's cold and the bun's fusty yeah. i thought was <laughs> and she comes up with she's a great character uh sadie she comes up with something special for Hector because Hector, I guess, is he looks younger than he is mm. and he's always polite to her. Yeah. You know, whereas the other two just take the piss. So she also she kinda dotes on Hector because he's you know Which goes a long way, just being nice to people and being polite. It's amazing how far that can take you in life, Greg, isn't it? You know, um the actress Ida Schuster, I was reading about her who plays Sadie, she only passed away in twenty twenty. Mm. She was a hundred and yeah. hundred and one years old. And unfortunately wow. unfortunately uh it was COVID that um that she that, 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 that she died from. Um but she's she's one of those that she's just so 
familiar. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, as an actress, you know, very distinctive voice. Um, and, the, you know, if you look at IMDb, unsurprisingly, numerous uh, Taggart credits, n- you know, <laughs> uh, numerous um, theatre credits, a few, uh, you know, there's been a few sort of attempts to get a Scottish um, soap off the ground in the sort of 70s and 80s, things like the Camerons and stuff like that. And she's turned up in there. I think she's even in Take the High Road as well. Um, but she, uh, yeah, I mean, she's fantastic in it. And, you know, she really knows, you feel like she really knows the woman she's playing. You know what I mean? It's, mm. She really knows. You know, I, I remember, I can remember women like that when I was little, like my, my, my granny's friends and stuff. You know, they... Very old-fashioned, hard as a fucking coffin nail, really appreciate good manners and courtesy and everything else. You know what I mean? Yeah, but then also quite forward-thinking as well in terms of... And I I think that's maybe why it reminded me a little bit of the steamy. Um, Also, you know, in terms of the speech that she has with Lucille. Yeah. And she's effectively saying that she's just trying to save up enough money so she can fucking kick an old man to the curb. Yeah, that's right, yeah. As she says, that, that conversation with this feels great because she's talking about, mm. you know, he'll come in for his dinner later. If I'm lucky, uh, he'll, he'll, he'll still have half his wages. And the seal yeah. says, I probably his own half. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's a really, really, it's not a very long scene, that scene between her and the seal, but it's, it's really poignant. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It gives a, a kind of a, a different perspective to the, the play because obviously it's kind of all been fun with the, the, the male cast up until then. Mm. But I, I really liked that little scene between the two of them. It just gave like a little different kind of edge and a little different kind of, you know, break to the to the play. Yeah. I thought it worked really effectively. Um, there's a, Early on in the play, there, the 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 boys are making fun of Hector uh, and a, about his uncle who was in the navy, <laughs> Uncle Bertie. <laughs> uncle Bertie, um, and what, and Phil describes a, some kind of movement as a swiveling mince. <laughs> yes. I did have down. It's quite homophobic um, in terms of the way they're discussing Uncle Bertie. Yeah. Um, obviously, they're they're trying to get across that Uncle Bertie was in the navy and maybe. <laughs> was a, a homosexual at um at some point. So I don't know Yeah, it's kinda of, well, I it? guess it's a bit I suppose it's probably quite true to life for the time that the play's set, set like in the late nineteen fifties, but also probably for the late seventies as well. It's probably, you know, quite yeah. true to life in that sense. Obviously that sort of thing wouldn't be acceptable these days. But the thing is, they, the Slab Boys, they, they did a production of it in 2013 to celebrate an anniversary. They got David Heyman back to direct it. So, it would, you know, I'm sure it, I'm sure it was un, unabridged. You get the, obviously, the impression that Hector is, is very proud yeah. of his, his Uncle Bertie. And he's, he's obviously mentioned him quite a few times um, because when he's telling the story about him and then Spanky says, oh, that's right, his medals are in the press and his clays are up on the wall. Yeah. And Hector straight away, no, his medals are on the wall and his clays are in the press. He just arrived him to the jigging. 20 sailor boys in his wake. I had an Uncle Bertie that was in the Navy. Oh, here we go again. We know, we know, he's been doing with his boat. Ship, the Royal Oak. His photos in the mantelpiece. He's only 19. Hector, nobody mentioned your Uncle Bertie. He was my mother's only brother. I know. You've got his medals in the press and his clays up on the wall. It's his clays that are in the ah, press and his... For God's me- sake. And he died for his country. Okay, Hector, okay. Look, I was only kidding about the 20 sailors. Honest. Honest. 
It was 40. You bloody bastard. <laughs> He's of no regard for nothing now than you have. My uncle is a volunteer straight on to battleships for the Sea Scouts. And he was wounded twice. Before he was killed. Nice wee fairy cake. Very offended by the, the, the notion that his medals would be in the press. <laughs> and then when when we meet Alan, there's a real effortlessness in the way that Phil calls him something different every time he sees him. Yeah. So yes. he calls him Alma, Alphonse. Alfred, <laughs> Agnes, Alice, <laughs> amongst others. Alan, obviously, when he first appears, he's the, the new guy being shown around. He's just left university. He's got a job here. He's on three pounds a week. He comes across as quite a, a nice enough character. But mm. as the play goes on, like towards the end, you're like, Alan, you're a fucking dick. He's, yeah. you know, he's, he's a real arsehole towards the end. But then is that just because of what they've put him through throughout the, the whole episode just that we've, getting we've his, just watched? Getting his like, own back, yeah. He's, He's had enough. Because, yeah, because when he finds Phil's portfolio with his drawings and paintings in it, he's really complimentary about them. But then mm. when he gives Phil the news that he's not been successful uh, in getting into the art school, he's really quite cold and callous about it, to your point, right? Yeah, yeah, he really is. Um, and I think that shows the change in him. I mean, I mean, it shows the change. Hector's kind of the same as well. Mm. Like, towards the end, once he's been given his promotion and when he's leaving, he kind of gives a little speech yeah. to, to Spanky about how, you know, he's expecting more work um, out of them for, for uh, in the future. But yeah, Alan kind of struck me as just a, I don't know, like, because he, he sticks up for Hector when yeah. they're taking the piss out of him and his clothes and, and then he does have a go at them, you know, later on, but he does seem a little bit out of, and a bit, it's a bit Tim nice, but dim as well. When he's speaking to Lucille about... Um, Rebel without a clue. Yeah. And um <laughs> Harry Dean. Was it is it Harry Dean? Yeah. That's it. Yeah, he does seem a little bit I don't know, a little bit Tim Nice bit dim. I did like when Lucille says to him, you know, um make sure you get changed before we, we go to the dance, because I don't want people to think you're a member of a bowling club. <laughs> and what I particularly like is when he turns up with his brand new white coat on and the first thing Phil does is just... He paints his shoulder. Paints his shoulder. Nicks his pen. <laughs> and he's very upset. This is brand new. It's, um, yeah, I did like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he. Um, I mean, I just took it to be he's, um, he's sort of really kind of getting his own back a little bit for the uh, the day of just getting the, the kind of piss ripped out of him that he's had by these two. But then with Hector, Hector, his is a bit more surprising because he starts off by saying, look, you know, uh, oh, I, I owe... I owe it all to used to. Yeah. And, but then he's like, because used to have made me look good, pretty much. Yeah. He sort of turns it on him. Is there a bit of, and I, I read this online, someone had mentioned it, and I thought, oh, okay, is there a bit of um, sectarianism involved there? Because Phil is obviously a Catholic. Mm. There's um, a specific line, because Alan says, Jesus Christ, and Phil says, you'll go to the bad fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I thought was wonderful. Um, I, I guess we're led to believe Spanky is, is Catholic as well. So we're thinking Alan, Willie Curry, and Hector probably are, are Protestants. Yeah. So is there a little bit of sectarianism there that Hector's been promoted ahead of the Catholics? Well, possibly. I mean, I think, I think that is something that would be quite common 
back then anyway, you know what I mean? You know, I guess sort of it's like the whole Irish thing and stuff like that. But um, but yeah, I think perhaps there's a bit of a sort of unsaid undercurrent of that. You, you got you got Jack as well, haven't you? Has been promoted, mm. old uh, plucky Jack, up to <laughs> desk job upstairs. Um, so uh, yeah, I think probably. So I guess we've all kind of probably worked in an environment where there's maybe one attractive female that everyone is after. And obviously it's Lucille. I mean, Christ, four people ask her to the staff dance. <laughs> yeah. I, I wonder if you've spoken about the staff dance. I mean, that's the whole, one of the kind of big premises that the, the staff dances this evening. Mm. And a lot of it kind of revolves around that. So yeah, four people ask her to the dance. And I did like, it's one of her, in the first scene that she's in, because they think that Hector has asked her. Yeah. And <laughs> Hector's going with her because he buys a double ticket. And I did love her line when uh, Spanky and, and Phil are asking her, and he goes, who's been giving you that guff? It's a staff dance, no the teddy bear spit. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> she's, she's a really, really good character, the seal. Like, every time she, she comes on, she's, because she's, you know, you've got these uh, sort of, well, two sort of strong male characters. And then you've got Sadie, who I spoke about already, and the seal, who's younger, but in her own mm. way, just as formidable as any mm. of the other characters, male or female, in the production. Yeah, she doesn't... The, the only time we see her wobble a wee bit is when she thinks something horrific is climbing in <laughs> the window <laughs> yeah. and uh, coming out the cupboards uh, and it's, uh, just, oh, it's, yes. just, it's just poor Hector. <laughs> <laughs> But she, yeah, but she keeps she keeps coming back to double check yeah. in terms of what's happening as well. But she doesn't take any nonsense off any of them. No, no, she doesn't at all. She um she totally sticks up for them um uh, uh, towards them um and gives them kind of uh yeah as good as they they're going to give her. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and I love um with uh, Tom Watson his little sort of solo bit if you like when he's mm. he's when Spanky's kind of working away in the back and he's talking about his war time experiences and, and <laughs> catching up with Vida Lynn's caravan and it, it, it just sort of breaks into song but he he sings it in that sort of west of Scotland thing that again Billy Conley's made fun of a lot and that sort of really deep how will meet again <laughs> you know like it's so funny it's like brilliant <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he says she even wore a kilt that night, which made me think, ah, oh, Dame Vera Lim was a bit of Shangalang. <laughs> yeah. So that's <laughs> Yeah. He's I mean he's 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 so good in this uh Tom Watson, because he, he I guess he's supposed to be the sort mm. of nemesis of, of the slab boys, but he's in a lot of ways he is. But he's also, mm. you know, he, he's, he, he sort of nurtures them as well yeah. in his way. And they, the scene with him and Billy McCall, like, it sort of threatens, because Billy McCall's obviously a, a lot younger than Tom Watson, and I guess at the time, a much less experienced actor. And you sort of, you, you, you almost see Billy McCall wobble a wee bit, I think, when he's up mm. against Watson, because Watson is just fucking chewing the scenery in that scene and and it calls for uh phil mccann to be emotional but tough and resilient as well but when watson's just fucking letting him have it and when he says you know i i, I tried to get you a second chance you know mm. um that you, you do see it's very very momentarily but you kind of see Billy McCall. You, you sort of see a young actor there for a second. You know, but he, he sort of re, he sort yeah. of regains his composure very quickly, and um, 
and he, is fucking fantastic in the scene as well. But uh, but yeah, Tom Watson is just fucking knocking it out of the park in this every every time he comes on. Yeah, it's a it's a tough love that he gives to the guys. Um, but as you say, you can tell he cares. He cares about this lab room because mm. you know as I say, he says it's yeah. his pride and joy, and you can tell he does kind of care for the guys as well. You know, he's asking about. Um, Phil's mum, yeah. and he, he's taken an interest, and obviously well, he's, he's got a genuine concern. Promotion, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's not a kind of a gossip monger yeah. asking. He's he's genuinely concerned for him, and and I think it's so fitting and not lovely, but you know, at the end when Phil like rips it out of him, and is that enough? Mm. And then yeah, he just well, he just comes back and yeah. drops the bombshell that he asked for a second chance, but it wasn't up to him. Yeah. Um, well, you're right, Tom Watson, fantastic. Um, haven't seen him as good as this since um, Govan Ghost Story. Since he was Govan Ghost Story, yeah. he was big jock with a creepy wee doll and <laughs> yeah. asking for a chinky. <laughs> yeah, he's he's really really good. I mean, he, you know, and you get the the sense with him that well, he understands that as much as these boys drive him up the wall, he's got an obligation to them because yeah. he was once one of them, as we've said. Yeah, and he obviously, yeah, he's just a fucking great character. And brilliantly portrayed, and they're still getting the job done effectively. There's there's nothing that goes to show they're not doing anything. Like he does come down, especially after they've had lunch mm. and they're just lying back smoking fags yeah. after their salmonella <laughs> on toast. And he comes down. It's not like he gives them a bollocking in yeah. terms. It's like, all oh, right, so you guys are just lying around and Alan's doing all the work here. It's not, you know, he could have gone mental at them, yeah. but I think he just he expects. So as long as they're getting the job done, but well, I guess, I mean, he does take the radio away, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, he does take the radio away, yeah. <laughs> and then obviously Phil gets his jotter, so yeah. maybe not the best. God's truth, I've had you chaps in Burma. Diarrhea! There were men in my platoon fighting the Japanese with dysentery. Is that how we managed to beat them, Mr. Carroll? Less of your cheek, Farrell. A couple of years in the forces might knock some damn sense into your heads. What have I told you about bringing that contraption in here? Bloody Tom Toms! Whoever belongs to this can ask Mr. Barton for it back. Right, I'll be back in five minutes now. Get on with your work. I was quite surprised. Mark Windsor, who plays Alan, he's only got three acting credits, but he seems so familiar. I know, I saw that as well. I don't know. I mean, because there's a load of Mark Windsors on IMDb. I found him quite quickly, because uh, I think he, he did a couple of plays for today. But maybe, I don't know, maybe he's just decided that acting wasn't for him and he was going to go off to something else. Yeah, it just seems strange, because I thought, you know, he was he was pretty good and um it, it just seems that i've seen him you know in, in quite a few things but obviously not he's got quite a distinctive so. voice i think mm. you know um that's what that's what uh sort of stuck out to me about him um his voice is very distinctive um so do we think that willie curry was actually in the army then well I mean, he was but was he a typist or did he see action i'm not <laughs> sure because the source of the gossip that he was in the typing pool uh, came from a guy with hammer toes apparently (laughs) (laughs) and he wasn't able to join the army so yeah I'm not sure I would like to think that it's true just because I love how invested he is in recalling it you know but he goes but he he talks about being in the desert with Mm. so if he was in the desert he'd have been fighting against the German army then he talks about being in the jungle and if he was in the jungle he'd been Mm -hmm. fighting against the Japanese so yeah you know, I, I don't know that that many British soldiers would have done both uh, sort of yeah. arenas, given what I know about the Second World War. 
But I hope it's true. So I just love his little, when he goes down memory lane there, talk about Vida Lynn, their kilt. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of simple jokes as well, but that are just very effective and funny. I particularly like when Hector's hiding in the cupboard and Spanky comes back and he hears Hector's voice and he's looking around. He's, oh, you did? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's the delivery that General Kelly gives that just makes it. It's uh, yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah, but no, he's hide, hiding in the cupboard. And another line I liked when they were talking about the seal, when they're talking about being at school, and he says, "Oh, all we knew about lassies was that their arms stuck out sideways when they ran." <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's so true like apart from when I was at school apart from the girls who were like in the athletics team or whatever if it was just general PE the not so athletic girls did run with their elbows out just just as they <laughs> describe uh, did you know that this was performed on Broadway in 1983 I did and I did and I was going to mention this because it's quite okay. a surprising cast, right? Yeah, yeah, very surprising cast. So we've got, I mean, it's fucking amazing when you think about it. Kevin Bacon, uh, Sean Penn, Val Kilmer, and Jackie Earl Haley, uh, who plays, he plays a new Freddy Krueger, he's in like the new Robocop film, he was in, plays Rorschach in um, Watchmen. Arguably not as successful as the other three actors. But um, <laughs> I watched, there's a documentary about Val Kilmer on HBO because um, famously Val Kilmer has said he's had throat cancer and he's he can't speak. Well, he, he can speak, but it's a sort of croaky, rumbly um, sort of noise. He can't, he obviously, he's lost his voice. And uh, in the documentary, so he Val Kilmer, ever since he was a kid, has sort of video recorded like huge parts of his life. And when he was back, he plays Alan in the Slab Boys. And there's footage in that documentary of him backstage. So, and you can hear the play being performed through the speakers. He's backstage because he's not, his character's not in the scenes that are, being performed. But it's really interesting because you can hear the dialogue in the background from the speakers <laughs> and they're doing it in Scottish accent. But you can't hear Oh really? You can't hear it that clearly. So I, I couldn't say whether Bacon, Penn or those guys have got good Scottish accents. But um but you can hear it coming from the speakers. It's quite an interesting documentary, that uh, documentary about Val Kilmer. It's definitely worth a watch. I'm surprised he did it in Scottish accents, but then I guess it doesn't work otherwise. You can't really imagine going, Yeah, he's got the skitters. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> doesn't really have the same rent here. <laughs> All right, creepy breeks. You're just a totally... What a load of keek. Buggeration. <laughs> He's just a creepy shite bear. <laughs> doesn't... doesn't yeah, it doesn't have the same ring to it in effect, does it? No, unfortunately not. Um, yeah, I'm... <laughs> Sadie, you're just an old midder. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get one of my boys down here to do what she say. Remember saying what she says? She says she's going to get one of her sons down to give Phil a doing. <laughs> <laughs> this tea is cold and this bep is foosty. <laughs> right, that's it. I'm not doing anymore. <laughs> <laughs> know the loose stools. <laughs> I'll be in the box smoking two fags at the same time. Oh, fuck. Yeah, I'm sort of, I'm a bit scared to. I'm sort of half interested, half frightened to 
to see. I may have to be looking on uh, YouTube and see if there's any if there's any um, footage of an American production of the Slap Boys. Yeah, I'd be quite interested to see that. Mm. Actually, I mean, it was remade in a film um, in 1997, but yeah. I, I haven't watched it. Um, but I don't know if that just is if that focuses on the whole trilogy rather than just the the first one. Well, I'm not sure. I mean, the second part of the trilogy is called Cutting a Rug, and it's it's sort of immediately after the events of um, the Slab Boys, and it's the dance mm. and all the mm-hmm. all the characters are there plus a, f- a few new ones um the the kind of often mentioned miss walkinshaw um is actually in <laughs> yes. she's actually in there <laughs> and a couple of other ones and then the last one um is called still life which is set a long time after it's set the sort of 1967 five years after the um the events of uh of the slab boys um and we catch up with the characters uh i need to i I've not I looked yet. I need to see if they've ever filmed either of the next two installments. And if they have, mm. uh, maybe we could we could do them on a future episode. But uh, yeah. I think with John Byrne, I think he, when you hear him talking about the play, I think he really likes the characters. You know what I mean? You know, he's because yeah. as mentioned before, they're they're probably based in a in a sense on a lot of people that he's known in his life, especially when he worked in Stoddart's and he kind of want you know, and that which is why he's enjoyed updating us on what's happened afterwards. But I mean, the, the Slab Boys is it's a it's a real classic of um Scottish theatre. And 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 yeah. I'm surpri- and it surprises me that it made the transition to Broadway because it's not only is it very Scottish but it's very very west of Scotland as well. I mean mm. I mean they yeah. the 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 patter which we've been having a we've been laughing about all the way through the episode. It's just it's relentless. You know what I mean? It's mm. absolutely relentless and it's very and a lot of it is very sort of it's very Scottish but <laughs> Parts of it are very, very west of Scotland as well. You know, what um, New York audience is made of it, I've got no idea. <laughs> All right, then, plucky chaps. <laughs> Let's. <laughs> <laughs> the last time I saw clays like that, they were on a garden gnome. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, well. Never mind. Oh, well, so, well. shall we put Slab Boys through our Swally Awards? Let's do it, Greg. I mean, there's a couple of awards that obviously we won't be able to give, yeah. but let's have a look and see what we can find. So, yeah. Okay, what have we got first? So, there's no pub in it because it's, it's a play. It's all set in the one location. Yeah. And yeah. The pubs are alluded to. The next one, then, is the James Cosmo Award for being in everything Scottish. Um, I went with Tom Watson. I went with this. Tom Watson. I think there's also a case for Gerald Kelly. As well, and there's also a case. Yeah, there's, a, yeah. there's also a strong case for either Schuster at a certain yeah. at a certain time. Um, I think Cosmo might be the sort of modern <laughs> Schuster, perhaps. Um, yeah. And then the next one then is the Jake McQuillan Your Teaser Award. Nobody. There's a lot of almost, you know, especially when Spanky has to restrain Phil a couple of times when uh, I think Hector says something about Phil's mum, but nobody really gets gets a gets a done. Well, Hector gets his ear cut off off <laughs> cut off the screen, but you know. uh, no, Sadie smacks Phil a couple of oh, times does, after yeah. he calls her an old midden. Yeah, she does. <laughs> She does, yeah. She gives him a couple of leatherings <laughs> over the back of the head. Yeah. Because <laughs> the only thing I was like, oh, it's not going to be a tease Because yeah. the only thing I had was, I, there's at one point Phil shoves Plucky Jack out the way and I was like, well, yeah. that's all I've got. Yeah. But then, no, Sadie comes <laughs> and just gives him a couple of leatherings on the back of the head. <laughs> With a big so, ring. Yeah, because yeah, he's like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like your ring. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And then the Francis Begbie Award for gratuitous swearing. I mean, there's no gratuitous swearing, but there's a lot of sort of third tier shites and yeah, bastards. The, and there's stuff. a yeah, there's a couple of bastards and, and stuff. But um, the one that made me laugh the most was uh, when Spanky is speaking to um, Phil about Alan, <laughs> and he says he's just a creepy shite back. There's no harm in him. Yeah. <laughs> um, obviously. <laughs> There's no, uh, there's no gratuitous nudity. The, the closest, no, the, the, thankfully not. The, the closest we get is Hector charging about in his summit. So the, the next thing is the sort of archetypal Scottish moment. The, the play could almost be the whole play is almost like an archetypal Scottish moment in a way. Yeah, because I did, um, I, I kind of struggled with this because there's not anything in particular. So I went with just the use of language, yeah. um, particularly. Keek, Tolly, Skitters, <laughs> Tube, Creepy Breaks, Shit. and Plukey. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I've just written down Patter. It's just, it's, yeah, yeah, same thing. It's, it's exactly the same thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then lastly then, um, the Big Tam Award. Who who wins the, the play for you? Billy McCall. Yeah. This film. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I would have liked to have given it to Gerard Kelly just because obviously I'm a little bit biased, but I think that um, Billy McCall's performance has a little bit more range and it's effectively his play, yeah. really. Um, it's Phil's story. So yeah, I gave it to Billy McCall. Yeah. What about yourself? Why well, give it to John Byrne? Because I just, I think it's just, ah, yeah. you know, I mean, it's one of the first things he ever wrote. I think it's just... So br- so brilliantly realised, yeah, and with such true to life characters and stuff. Uh, I gave it to him. I, I, I've, no, I've been I, I've, I've, I've yeah. been looking at I've been like watching a lot about him um, over the last couple of days, and I just I just find him really fascinating. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Just, I mean? He was he was married to Tilda Swinton for quite a long time. Mm. She's in um, yeah. She's in um, your cheating heart. You know the sort of mm-hmm. follow up to Tutti Frutti. Um, yep. Uh, yeah, I just find them really interesting guy. Like I, I, you know the conversation with him and Peter Capaldi is just a joy uh, to watch. He's very sort of self uh, reverential and stuff like that. And you know just like, that sort of really dry wit. Very funny guy. You know. Mm. So anyway, it's very good. Yeah. So that was the Slab Boys, which was which was my choice. Um, we're into November. When this comes out, it will be sort of the third week in November, which means it's your choice as we push into December. So what are we going to be watching for the next episode? Well, no, Greg, because it's a a three episode month in November. So this. The next episode will actually be released on the 30th of November. Right, okay. Which is, of course, St. Andrew's Day. Indeed. Now, there's not really any films or anything about (laughs) St. Andrew, the patron saint of Scotland. So I thought we'd look at something which features the patron saint of the Swally, our Lord and (laughs) Saviour. Mr. James Cosmo. Um, and he doesn't have a big starring role, but he's in it, so it counts. So I would like us to look at, I guess, another patron saint of Scotland, yep. Robert the Bruce, as we look at the 2018 film Outlaw King. Brilliant. I look forward to watching that. I have seen it before, but I did enjoy it. So yeah, I look forward to talking to you oh, good. Talking to you about that in the next episode. Yeah, well, we'll cover that in the next episode of The Swally. I've never seen it. I haven't seen it at all. So I'll look forward. I don't know why I didn't watch it. I guess because it's not really my... (laughs) Yeah, you know why. It's it's not my wheelhouse, is it? It's kind of... I I like Braveheart. I like Rob Roy. So I'll probably like Outlaw King. We will see. Anyway. 
All right. Well, thank you very much for listening, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can. You can email us on cultureswally at gmail.com if you've seen any news stories you'd like us to cover or if you've got anything you would like us to cover on the podcast. You can also follow us on the socials. We're on Insta at cultureswallypod and we're on X, formerly known as Twitter, at swallypod. And Greg, we have a wonderful website as well, don't we? Uh, yep, you can find us at cultureswally.com for uh, some articles about Scottish media, uh, links to other socials, and links to all the episodes. And I updated it the other day, so there really is links to all the episodes. Now. <laughs> 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 I had an um, I hadn't done it for uh, a couple of months, but I spent a bit of time on it the other day, so it's all up to date. Have you been lying to us for the last couple of months, Greg? <laughs> we believed you when you said it's got all links to all the episodes. <laughs> yeah. Well, it does have links to all I'm the episodes, sure. but um, because but it just doesn't... All the episodes weren't reflected on the website, I guess is probably the better way of putting it. Okay. No problem at all. <clears throat> all right. Wonderful. Right. Well, I hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend. <sighs> I'm too. off to go and watch Aberdeen against Hibs in the League Cup semi-final, and that will determine if I'm going to go back to Scotland in December for the final. <laughs> so we'll see. Well, I'll be rooting for you. Um, not well for Aberdeen. Uh, I'll leave it up to you whether you go back to Scotland or not. <laughs> I'm sure you'll make that. I'm sure you'll make the right decision. Um, yeah. Alrighty. Well, until next time. Till next time. We'll meet again. Don't know where. Don't know. Do you know the Vera Lynn's caravan caught up with at one time? Tommy Christos Rialto Kinema Alexandria. Ten minutes from the tram depot. Yes, a lovely girl. We were all there that night. Fifteen hundred Highland Fusiliers waving our pashas in the dark and shouting, We'll give the buggers what for, Vera! A lovely girl. She wore the kilt that night.